Hello, ladies and gents. My name is Rodrigo Lopez, and thank you very much for tuning in to the very first episode of Talking to Myself with yours truly. Uh, so it's currently 2.45 a.m. in the morning, very late. I was sitting in bed thinking, you know, I've got nothing to do. I'm going to be awake for a long time. You know, I'm a pretty late sleeper, and it's quarantine, so I don't mind the messed up sleep schedule. But anyways, I was sitting in bed thinking, okay. I'm going to be up for a while. What should I do with this free time? And it just, it sort of crossed my mind out of nowhere that I've always wanted to do a podcast. And I have in the past. None of them were really successful. All my attempts sort of squandered and never really went anywhere. But this is a podcast that I actually genuinely want to commit to. So that being said, um, let's make this happen. I'm going to shoot this in one take. Hopefully it works. Might be a little unprofessional. Might be a little sloppy. I don't know. I'm more I'm just kind of winging this, you know. I'm just kind of going for it, and uh, I think I think it'll be okay. <laughs> I hope so. Uh, but anyways, thank you very much for tuning in. I hope you enjoy the next maybe twenty, maybe thirty, possibly even forty-five minutes of me rambling on about stuff that I enjoy. Um, if you would like to contribute topics or maybe even guest on the show, you can always contact me at my Instagram handle. Brod underscore five five nine no caps on that. I did mention that in the series trailer. If you didn't get that before, there it is now. You can always send a DM to my personal Instagram and have me talk about topics that you enjoy. You know, it really just depends on whatever you like. I'll be sure to cover that in an eventual episode. Just be sure to let me know. And of course, if you do want a guest star, um, even though the show is called Talking to Myself, I'm more than open to having guests. On the show. So that being said, if you would like to try podcasting, or if you are already a podcaster, um, I'm always open to some collaborations. Of course, I do plan to have some friends on the show at some point, but that's more for later times. I kind of want to do some episodes with just me at first. Um, hopefully, I'm not boring you too much so far. So, with that being said, let's get right into the meat and bones, the stuff you want to hear, and the stuff I want to talk about. Because I'm very passionate about it. And I'm sure a good deal of you that are listening to it right now are also quite passionate about what I have to talk about. And so that would be the first topic of today. Hopefully the only topic, I don't know, I can go for a long time about it, is current state of console gaming. That's a really big topic. It's very, very broad. Um, But I'm going to kind of specify more on that by focusing on the consoles that we are coming to see this generation. And... Basically everything that comes with it. And so what I mean by that is what consoles are bringing to the table this generation? Um, What can we expect? What are we seeing? What is the public opinion? And what has happened so far? Now, this episode has come out uh, much a little before the holiday season of 2020 in which these consoles are set to release. So I'm speaking a little in foresight, basically. You have to keep in mind that this episode is being recorded a good deal of time before these consoles are to release. A lot of what I say here could completely change, including the public opinion, my personal opinion, basically everything I'm about to speak on could completely change. And I mean, that's, I'm expecting it. I'm expecting it. So this is more of just a period piece, probably won't age well. Whatever the case is, I'm still kind of rambling. We should probably get on with the topic now. Um, But essentially, 
Let's talk about what we are seeing, what is going on with consoles. Man, I this is such a great topic to talk about. It really is, because I can go on for hours. Now, the Xbox Series X and the PS5, two massive titans, coming into the end of 2020 and starting a new age of console gaming. Huge, huge deal. If you've been on Twitter on Instagram for the past maybe three, four weeks, it's been very obvious that there has been a very public bias towards one of these systems. I don't think I need to spell it out, but I probably will. Um, The PS5 is considered to be the champion, or so the, hmm, the, the glory child. I guess you could say. I don't know. I'm I'm trying to just shoot things in the wind there. But the PS5 is considered to be what the public sees as the next big thing. The console that's going to dominate this generation and really cement Sony as the superior quote-unquote console or the superior way to play video games on consoles. Um, there's been a lot of memes. I'm sure you've seen them. Um, If I could bring any up on screen, I totally would, but I've seen an absolute excess of these on Twitter. Um, In fact, if you've been on there, there's been a lot of women dressing very uh, promiscuously, (laughs) I guess you could say, uh, very scantily clad, and then posting those pictures, and their caption being, me or the PS5. Quite a simple caption. That became a huge meme. Um, I actually just saw a few of those today, which is crazy because this has already been around for, I want to say, about a week now, maybe two, three weeks now, and it's still going on, and people are still making a joke out of it, and unfortunately, the Xbox Series X has not really had um, that big of a social impact, at least not yet. Um, It's very clear right now from what I just said, the PS5 has been dominating the minds of people on social media for quite some time now. Um, Ever since it was officially revealed a few months back, uh, people on the internet have been going absolutely crazy about how the PS5 is going to be the dominant console, how it's going to be the best. It's going to blow the Xbox Series X out of the water. And a lot of that is due to what people see as Sony's best quality, which is their exclusive titles, which I will 100% agree. Sony has a lot of hard-hitting exclusives. and. As much as I want to say that they're console sellers, there's definitely some aspects that Sony does sort of uh, fall back on. I wouldn't say fall back on, but are sort of inferior in a sense. And I'll kind of get into that as I speak more on the Xbox side of things. And what I currently see as what this new generation will look like for Xbox and how Microsoft is going to bring back the Xbox to its former glory. I'm going to try and be as unbiased as I can because I'm going to be honest with you right now. I'm going to say it as blankly as possible. I am an Xbox fan. I am an Xbox fan, but I have the best of both worlds because I was previously a Sony fan. In fact, I had been a Sony fan my entire life. Life. For anybody that doesn't know this, um, I actually grew up 
with pretty much every Sony console. I had the PS1, I had the PS2, I had the PS3, I had the PS4, I had the PSP. The only thing I think I did not have in my collection from all the Sony consoles was, of course, the Sony iToy, which I think only like a handful of people even had, and the PSP Go, the little slider PSP. And the Vita, of course. I didn't have the Vita. Um, again, I can only think of maybe like 500 people that actually had that console. They were probably all in Japan because <laughs> they're really good for, for visual novels and stuff like that. But essentially, I was a huge Sony fanboy. And up until late in the PS4's lifespan, I was very, very much dedicated to Sony. And I think hadn't things changed for me late in that PS4's life cycle, I think I would very much be one of those people um, making those PS5 memes on social media. I think I would have been those people that were hyping up the uh, Sony exclusives and really trying to, to sell the PS5 as the, the next big thing. Um, but from what happened last generation... I can confidently say that I am a full-on Xbox fan now. And I've always been very interested in Xbox as a kid, you know. I've always wanted to see how the grass looked on the other side. And it wasn't until recently that I actually got to try that. And I gotta say, I gotta say, I, I, I think I can identify more as an Xbox fan now. Having spent all that time, all that money... And all that dedication to one brand. Me giving Xbox a try. Has honestly changed my perspective on a lot of things. It is for sure changed my perspective on the state of modern gaming. And what we can expect out of the new consoles. The Series X and of course the PS5. So I'm going to kind of divulge into a little sub section. A little uh, diversion I guess. Into my gaming experiences and how I got up to this point. So, as I mentioned before, I was a diehard Sony fan until late into the Sony PS4's lifespan. I want to say within the past year or so. Maybe year and a half, I think, at this point. I think it's been a year and a half since I got rid of my PS4. Um, I had fun with it. It was a good console. I've always had fun with Sony consoles. I still own all my Sony consoles except for my PS4. In fact, I'm, I'm looking at my PS2 right now uh, as I record this. It's currently plugged into my old CRT TV, and I occasionally boot it up for, for Madden 08 just to to have some nostalgia whenever I need it. You know, some Tony Hawk's Pro Skater 4 whenever I feel nostalgic. <laughs> but essentially, that should kind of paint a picture of how obsessed and how committed I was to Sony to being a Sony fanboy, to enjoying Sony properties, and just to generally be a part of the Sony fan base. The PS4's lifespan is what really changed it for me. Um, this was the first generation of Sony consoles that would actually charge for multiplayer play. And that was a huge aspect of what had really cemented my love for Sony back in the 360 PS3 era, was the fact that Sony offered its multiplayer experiences for free. You didn't have to pay PS Plus. PS Plus was there. 
it was a great service. It gave you free games. It works the exact same as it does now. Only back then, you did not need Plus for online multiplayer access. You can play games completely for free online with no restrictions. Um, and that still holds up till today. There's absolutely no fees when it comes to playing online. So if you want to go back and play some old PS3 games, um, given that they have a active player base, you can still enjoy them um, on previous consoles without having to pay a single cent for that online multiplayer. Unfortunately, I can't say the same for Xbox 360. You've always had to pay for multiplayer back then, and you still do. But anyways, Sony came into the new generation, the PS4 generation, um, immediately off the bat swinging by charging you for online multiplayer. That was like strike one for me. That was a big strike for me because um, the amount of money that you can spend yearly on on subscriptions can be, well, it's, it's a, it seems like an unnecessary tax. You know, realistically, it's not going to come out to much per year, but it seems like money I shouldn't have to spend because online multiplayer if it is included with a game, should be accessible for free. If I pay $60 for a AAA title, my enjoyment of the game and my access to a part of the game should not be challenged. I should not have to pay for that. And I honestly, I could I could go into an entire episode about monetization in modern day video games. That'll probably be the topic in next episode. I'm just going to kind of gracefully traverse over that for now. But essentially, Strike One was Sony sort of getting a little more greedy in terms of monetization. I can't really blame Xbox. They've been charging for multiplayer since the very beginning. I don't really have a problem with that. That's fine. That's Xbox. Microsoft's always been doing that. Um, it's pretty fairly priced. I, I still don't believe it's necessary to charge for multiplayer but i mean it is what it is companies got to make their money anyways sony got a little greedier um they started pushing for people to buy plus simply because of course it lets you play online i had no desire to get playstation plus back in the ps3 days and i think that's why um sony was kind of upset they saw that their subscription service was not getting a whole lot of people to join as you know, in hindsight, it did the exact same thing the Xbox Live Gold did back in the day. You know, you get like two free games a month, some other goodies, and of course, the main thing that you would get was access to online multiplayer. So basically, Plus was everything but that really crucial selling point. They saw that, they're like, okay, we have to match that. We have to. We have to. We need to stay competitive. People are not buying Plus. Because at the end of the day, you know, the, the, the games that you're getting for your money, you know, they're the little bargain bin games that developers are okay giving away for pennies, you know. Old games. Games that people didn't really like. Games that people sort of overlooked, you know. As much as I hate to say it, that, that still sort of stays true today. Um, not as much now but definitely i want to say a year ago or so and so that was sony's way of getting people to finally start paying for multiplayer and finally start you know using playstation plus it was a very underutilized platform um i think i only ever had one person on my ps3 friends list that 
ever had PlayStation Plus because there was simply just no need. There was just simply no need. The games were not worth it. The other little bonuses were not worth it. And it wasn't restricting your access to online multiplayer. So there was really no reason to get it. And that's why I see Sony making that move for the PS4 generation. They had to be competitive. But I think Sony always had that little edge over Xbox by making all of their games completely accessible right out of the box. You do not need to pay. Sorry. You do not need to pay an additional fee on top of that just to be able to access something you purchased already. So I commended Sony for that. Lost a little respect for them when they fell back on that and started charging for online multiplayer in the PlayStation 4 era. Now strike one, strike two. For me, mostly, this is sort of a personal thing. I do not find a good deal of the PlayStation exclusives worth it. It's a very controversial take. I know I'm going to get a lot of flack for that one. But it's something I feel I needed to say. Um, Personally, I'm not the biggest fan of purely single-player experiences, um, especially when these games can be very, very expensive and they typically don't offer much than a few hours of enjoyment. Now, I'm mostly speaking kind of of linear um, story-driven games that Sony likes to produce. You know, you have games like The Last of Us. You like games like God of War, uh, th- those kind of things along that kind of line. And although a good majority of them back then did have some multiplayer elements and some sort of multiplayer offerings, for the most part, Sony had always been mostly focused on single-player experiences. And I like single-player games, don't get me wrong. But the thing is, for me these days, in the age of live services, it's going to take more than a very solid, maybe 20, 30, maybe even 40-hour campaign to really sell me for a full price, you know. And, of course, we can't go to GameStop. It's quarantine. I don't do pickup. Uh, used games are pretty hard to come by, and we're already living in an age where games are going digital. So sales are less frequent, especially on newer titles. And I am much less incentivized to pick up these games. And I don't mean this directly just towards Sony. Of course, there's plenty of other linear single-player games out there. But Sony's offerings, for me personally, um, never really struck a chord with me. Not only because a lot of them did not include any multiplayer content, but if they did, the multiplayer content was not there after the player base eventually died or the servers were cut. Um, my favorite Sony exclusive, Uncharted 3, Drake's Deception, had an amazing, amazing multiplayer experience. Probably the best out of any Sony exclusive. Its service got shut down, I believe, in 2018, 2019. It was fairly recent. And... Although the game's value hasn't really gone down, it definitely hurts. It hurts that they did not program this game with the idea in mind to allow for offline play. For being able to access that multiplayer component of the game 
long after the servers are cut or long after the player base dies, which I think UC3 had a pretty active player base before it got shut down, or at least somewhat active. I, I do remember people still getting matches, still playing, and I did remember playing the game not too long before it was eventually shut down and still being able to find consistent matches on my PS3. It was crazy. Um, but essentially, that experience was kind of kicked out once the servers shut down. And there was co-op, which is okay. I mean, I don't really like fighting against that kind of survival wave-based mode. I'd much rather fight bots in a multiplayer scenario that I can customize and control, like the COD games. You know, that kind of thing. The COD games are infinitely replayable, not just through their campaigns, but through their story. Or, sorry, through their multiplayer modes, because um, these days, all Call of Duties are being shipped on disc with an offline multiplayer option. Basically allowing you to experience... Everything multiplayer has to offer without ever having to actually start a multiplayer match with their people. That's something that a lot of games back then lacked. And for me, it's a huge, huge turnoff to Sony. Because they just, they if they do integrate multiplayer components into a predominantly single player game, it's mostly just to, to, as a gimmick. To sell a little bit more copies. To give you more of an incentive to pick it up. After you've beat the entire campaign. And and that's the thing for me. That's a huge, huge thing for me. I'm not the kind of person to go back and rewatch shows. Unless it's like really, really good or something like that. Uh, for gaming, it's even tougher. You know, for, for single player games, it's really, really hard for me to go back and experience a single-player game from the ground up if I had already beaten it. I think the only game that I can comfortably revisit and still thoroughly enjoy as a single-player experience is Call of Duty Black Ops, the very first game. Amazing campaign. Amazing. So many iconic missions in that game. It wasn't very long compared to most other uh, offline single-player campaigns. But there was just so much to it. The missions were great, well-designed. The story was very interesting. Um, and that's a game I don't mind coming back to. But there's plenty of single-player-only games that I just... I don't I don't return to. If I beat it, I don't really feel any incentive to go back and beat it again. You know? And even if they integrate, you know, secrets... Or different difficulties. I still don't feel inclined to revisit those games once I beat them. And that's what drastically decreases the value of those games and those exclusives for me. That's just me, though. That's just me. I'm sure there's plenty of people that will gladly pay $60 for these six uh, single-player experiences. And will come back to them regularly. Even after they've beaten them. I know a lot of people that were absolutely obsessed with Persona 5. Which is a purely single player JRPG experience. And then of course you also do have 
God of War, the new um, rebooted exclusive that also did exceptionally well as a Sony exclusive. I just, I couldn't mesh well with those games. Once I beat them, I knew it just, it wouldn't, it wouldn't, there wouldn't be much worth in me returning to them personally, at least, at least to me from what I could, could gather. Um, And so with that being said, I think Xbox games are much more multiplayer oriented because they were the first console to truly do multiplayer right, to do multiplayer justice. Um, online multiplayer through the original Xbox was a huge, huge deal. And because of that, their legacy was shaped around these multiplayer experiences. They made sure that their games had very, very top-tier multiplayer. You got stuff like the Forza franchise, the Halo franchise, the Gears of War franchise. All massive, massive titles that are known for their multiplayer. For their extended modes beyond their single player content. And with that second strike from Sony. That's what I really began to notice more. I'm a huge fan of the Halo IP. I got into Gears with Gears 5. Really enjoy it now. Forza has always been on my radar. I love racing games. I love car games. And not to mention. That third strike for me was the opportunity, the value, and of course, the ability to finally share that experience with my friends. And so I'm going to get a little more in detail about that. Uh, Essentially, this was back when Game Pass was being first introduced. I believe it had only been about a month old when I was already starting to look at the Xbox as a possible Switch console. I'd heard about Game Pass, and I immediately thought it was the greatest deal for a gamer. The greatest deal. Now, there was already a service that was very similar on PlayStation at the time, but it wasn't nearly as good as a deal as Xbox is offering. Not only did they have more interesting games to me, um, they also had a very expansive catalog of exclusives. That I really enjoyed. I loved the Halo franchise. I wanted to get into Gears for the longest time. They had all of the Gears games. They had all of the Halo games. And they had a few Forza games. I think now, these days, it's only one Forza game. But that's really enough, to be honest with you. They're all quite similar anyways. But the sheer amount of value that came with that Game Pass... I think it was a big deal for me because I didn't have a whole lot of games on my PlayStation 4. And I could only really play one of them with my friends because Fortnite, the game that I'm referring to, was the only game that really had cross-play. And even then, it wasn't a whole long time ago. I think the introduction of cross-play in Fortnite um, is still fairly new. I want to say it was about the second year of the game's life cycle when it finally came to fruition. Not exactly sure when you can correct me, um, but the big idea was that my friends all had Xboxes. I was the odd man out, as well as another friend, um, but we didn't really play the, the same game, so I, I felt more pressure to switch over to Xbox, where I could enjoy all of those experiences with my friends, 
um, without having to be stopped by games that don't offer game share, or I'm sorry, crossplay. And so, with that factor of me being able to play with my friends, the great deal that Game Pass offered for me to double, even triple my collection of games at a time, I just naturally gravitated to the Xbox in that in that time frame. I was pretty bored of my PlayStation 4, didn't see much in keeping it than being able to enjoy a few PlayStation 4 exclusives or a few Sony exclusives. By that case, I just, I didn't see holding on to it worth it anymore. And so I made the decision to one day take the PlayStation 4 that I owned to GameStop and have it traded in for an Xbox One. That's exactly what I did. The day I had that thought, I went to GameStop the very, very same day. In that evening, I got it sorted out in less than 15 minutes, and I don't regret that decision at all. It's been about a year and a half since I made that decision. I do not regret it. I still don't. Because Xbox is only getting better and better, and that's going to kind of lead into my next segment of the show, which is the current generation of consoles and how Microsoft is going to be taking the crown this generation. At least, in my opinion, I'm going to be providing a few arguments here. But essentially, Sony is the hot kid on the block. Came into this new generation with tons of popularity. Tons of committed, undying fanboys that will worship these these exclusives and the Sony hardware. It came in hard, really, really hard. The amount of impact the PS5 had on social media, on everyone's minds. It was just, it was insane seeing that PS5 reveal and seeing how passionate people could be about a game console. And I didn't feel that hype at first with the Xbox Series X. But of course that changed. That changed very, very quickly as more details about each console began to surface. And as of now, since that, I think I've made a very, very clear decision on how I feel about these new generation of consoles and who I think will be the big winner this generation. And let me tell you, I think we've done a complete U-turn here. A complete U-turn. And it's only getting more complete as the weeks pass by and as we inch closer to that eventual deadline where we see these consoles come out for real, I think it's going to continue to spiral in the opposite direction. Because we started off very, very strong on the PlayStation side. It was very, very clear to a lot of people that Sony simply had better games. A better, more expansive selection, and a selection that was exclusive to them. A selection that basically were selling points for this console. Each Sony exclusive was sort of its own selling point. Individually. You like that one game from last gen? Remember The Last of Us? You like that? Well, it's getting a sequel. You know, so you, you should stick to Sony. So that maybe you could see a sequel of that game. 
you know? That kind of thing. That kind of thing. And Xbox, who unfortunately for the past few years has been known to have weak exclusive games, um, was sort of stuck in a rut. They were going into this new generation uh, light-handed, so to speak. I think Sony definitely, at first, had a much, much bigger value, simply in terms of its game, not even counting its hardware. From looking at the specs alone, I think it's very much common knowledge at this point. The Xbox Series X was stronger than the PS5 by a very small margin, um, but the Xbox Series X is considered to be stronger in terms of graphics and, and settings-wise. But that wasn't enough of a selling point for people. Yes, people care about graphics. Yes, people care about performance. But it was the games that were really, really selling the PS5 in the very, very early stages. And that was tough. That was very tough for Microsoft to deal with. Microsoft was sort of stuck in this rut because Sony has all of these super, super well-established franchises that have been doing well for years. You know, you, you got Uncharted, which got four games. Four games. The God of War has a bunch of games. And it's getting a reboot with a bunch of new sequels that I'm sure we're going to see. We're already confirmed for another God of War game. And I'm sure there's going to be two more after that. Or who knows. We're already beginning to see a somewhat sequel, quote-unquote. It's more of a, an expansion. But we're already starting to see the uh, the emphasis on the Spider-Man franchise that Sony has recently acquired as an exclusive. And it's very clear that Sony has a lot of hard hitters here. And they're, they're, they're multi-generational titles that can span between different generations. You know, uh, the Uncharted franchise got its start on the PS3, finished its story on the PS4. That game was strong from one generation to the very next. And that, I think, was something that Xbox was sort of losing over time. Forza, which used to be quite popular back in the day, sort of became relegated to that one Xbox racing game. You know? That, that one Xbox racing game. Gears, although still very, very interesting and well-made, sort of fell into obscurity in the public eye. It's still a great series. The new games are still amazing. And I'm very glad Microsoft has decided to put a little more emphasis on the Gears franchises in 2020. For the most part, though, it was a shell of its former self. It wasn't as popular as it used to be back in the early 2000s when the Xbox 360 was at its peak. And Gears was one of its most notable exclusives. Then, of course, you had, oh god, the Halo franchise. <laughs> uh, I could probably make entire episodes on the Halo franchise. I'm a huge fan of Halo. Played all the games. Love them all to death. They're all amazing. Um, it's incredibly controversial with the newer games. You either love Halo 4 and 5 or you hate them. And... That sort of reception has created a shaky image of Halo that Microsoft still hasn't been able to truly shake off. Hopefully they do with Infinite. Praying that they do, but 
I don't know. At this point, it's just it's a complete toss-up. It's a completely new game. But essentially, Xbox had always sort of kind of struggled to to move consoles, to sell consoles, because they, they lack that exclusive power. And I think you're kind of seeing where I'm leading up to. I think you kind of get an idea of what, what I'm trying to build up to. Microsoft needed an equalizer. They had a leg up with their hardware. But they needed something to truly level the playing field. And before I get to what you're thinking, let me talk about Game Pass. Or what I like to call the gaming industry's Netflix. I think the Game Pass is by far the greatest deal in gaming. If it wasn't before, back when it first came out, then it is now. It absolutely 100% is, without a doubt, the greatest deal in gaming. And definitely a reason to buy an Xbox. It's a very, very solid reason to buy an Xbox. Even though most of the catalog that comes out of that Game Pass are not Xbox exclusives. So already right there, it's not a true equalizer to PlayStation's massive library of legendary exclusives, but there is an effort being made here. There are some great games on this Game Pass. It's definitely not a bunch of shovelware. It's not a bunch of indie crap. There are some genuine mainstream heavy hitters on this Game Pass. And it's only gotten better since then, if you can believe it. Um, Now Game Passes are being bundled with gold being sold as Xbox Game Pass Ultimate, which not only comes with full, complete access to the Game Pass, but also um, Xbox Live Gold. So you get that service on top of the Game Pass, merged together. Um, and it, it's a match made in heaven, because the, the Game Pass by itself, 10 bucks, 10 bucks right there per month. And if you want Xbox Live, that's another 10 bucks for a month. So they cut five off that. Give it to you one nice, neat package. And you get to enjoy the benefits of both for a lower price. It's a much more manageable price. I think I pay, I, I don't know what the Netflix fees are up to, but it, it's definitely not. Seven bucks like it used to be or something. I don't remember how much it used to cost. It was definitely not as cheap as it was back then today. I know it's gotten much more expensive today. But I can already say, just considering everything that Game Pass has, I would much rather spend my money on, on the Game Pass than a streaming service like Netflix or Hulu. And obviously that sounds a little biased because I'm a gamer. It's what I do. I, I love playing games. Um... Without bias, I can 100% say it is definitely more worth to me than a streaming service. Because it basically is a streaming service, but instead of getting movies and TV shows, I'm getting full, complete video games. And not just crappy no-name games that Xbox Live and PSN give out for free every month. I'm talking the good stuff. Talking stuff like MKX. Rocket League, NBA 2K20, GTA 5. Some of the biggest names in gaming 
right there on your console for 10 bucks a month on top of this huge extensive library with tons of games across multiple genres for 10 bucks a month that's insane that is absolutely insane and if you want to bump it up a little bit do five more five bucks more you get the online service paired with it so now you can enjoy all these new games on the game pass with full multiplayer compatibility for just five extra bucks normally you'd have to pay 10. great deal on its own not even bringing up the new stuff that's coming to it but now now it's really making xbox game pass a contender in this console race is the inclusion of two brand new things that are coming very, very soon. First off is, of course, Xbox's or Microsoft's cloud gaming division. Now, I, you'll have to forgive me. I forgot the name of the service. I, be, I believe it's xCloud. I believe it's xCloud. Correct me if I'm wrong, but I believe it's xCloud. xCloud is looking to be the future leader in cloud gaming, it is picking up the pieces that Stadia dropped and making big, big moves with it. Huge moves with it. For those that have experienced it, for those that have seen it firsthand or maybe tried out the beta or something like that, this genuinely feels like how Stadia should have been. I've seen plenty of videos trying out xCloud and I've heard nothing but positive reviews about it. Nothing but positive reviews. I have not heard a single person say anything bad about xCloud. That's already very promising um, for something so early in development. But as it gets more developed, as we begin to see more titles for it, as we see it grow, um, it becomes even more valuable, especially for the fact that it's going to be on Game Pass very, very soon. They're going to allow you to have cloud gaming as part of your subscription service. Now, as far as I know, I've actually seen people already do this on their phones. For those of you who don't know, you can actually access cloud streaming games from your Xbox on your phone. Well, it doesn't, I don't think it comes from your Xbox. It comes from cloud servers. But you are getting basically all the games um, from Xbox Game Pass on that cloud device. And so I, I saw this really cool video from somebody on TikTok who had their Android phone plugged into a special edition Microsoft smartphone controller. And they were playing full-on Xbox games on their phone. It looked great. The frames, great. The connection, great. Very little input lag. Which is insane because... All of these great things I'm stating about xCloud were huge, huge issues for Stadia. xCloud is the program that Stadia should have been. And it's going to just keep getting better and better and better as Microsoft expands the servers, makes them beefier, provides more content for that xCloud demographic. And of course, merge it with Game Pass to create this this sort of unification of big powers. But that's not the end of it, though. There's another addition that's coming to Game Pass that I know 
a lot of people are going to be pretty excited about. Now, EA is a pretty shit company. I do not like EA. Their games, for the most part, are either somewhere from meh to atrociously bad. But they do have some gems, like every game developer does. There are some diamonds in the rough there that are genuinely good games. And there was a point in time where EA was not completely insufferable. Where they could consistently create good to great games. And not put monetization first. I don't know if you can believe that. Because as far as recent memory goes. EA comes off as a massive piece of shit. But believe me when I say that at some point. In some time period. EA was doing great. And now that era of EA. The best part of EA. And all the games that were produced during that time are now being merged onto the Game Pass via EA Access. Basically, Xbox already officially announced and confirmed that they would be merging their EA Access subscription service with the Xbox Game Pass. If you guys didn't know, uh, EA launched their own subscription service that was very much like Game Pass, almost the exact same, only you could exclusively access just EA games. They have a pretty good selection. Um, there's definitely a lot of classics missing, like the Command and Conquer series. Um, but, I mean, for, for what it is, for what it's worth, I think it's got a lot going for it. It's got a lot going for it. It's not just um, a bunch of sports games that are the same stuff year after year. Um, there's a lot of great classics on there. Um, Skate 3, one of my favorite games of all time, is actually on that pass. And re really, in all... No, honestly, that that's what I actually got the pass for in the first place. But um, there's also a lot of great stuff, like the Battlefield games, which are all on there. And the earlier Madden FIFA sports titles that were actually quite good compared to their modern renditions, which are increasingly atrocious. I think we can all agree. Um, I, I do like EA sports games, and I'm not going to lie, I do sort of keep up with their new releases. I'm not the kind of guy to go and spend $60 to play the new Madden. Um, nor am I the kind of guy to ignore them completely. Because they are good games. Somewhere. Somewhere deep down. Um, not to mention, they are pretty much the only experiences. Especially more for the Madden football side of thing, because EA has exclusive access to the NFL franchise. And so a lot of the high-budget NFL football games come out of EA because they have exclusivity. And it's really, really hard for a bigger game to come up and trump that, you know? But anyways, EA Access merging with Game Pass very, very soon. All those great EA games... And of course, that era of EA is still perfectly preserved. And old games are seeing their fan bases and online player bases reignited. That's exciting. That's what's really, really exciting. Because games like Battlefront 1, Battlefront 2, games that, are, that were 
on their deathbed, basically, are now enjoying pretty decent amount of players now because they're included on that pass. Games like the Battlefield games, I feel like the earlier games, good news for you, because of their inclusion on EA Access, they're now beginning to see a resurgence in player base. And that's amazing. It's very, very hard to revive a dead multiplayer game, but EA is doing it for all of their most beloved titles. And that, on its own, is a pretty good merit. But the fact that they've actually decided to put their greediness aside and partner with Microsoft directly honestly shocks me a whole lot. So you combine all the things that I mentioned, the very reasonable price, huge catalog of games, xCloud, and of course... EA Access. You combine those, you throw them in a mixing pot, you get the best deal in gaming. That's already a huge step up against any sort of subscription that I think Sony offers. But it's not just that. That's already a very formidable opponent against Sony. Xbox had suffered a very, very tough gen with the Xbox One. PS4, to many people, was just seen as a more superior option. You have the good the graphics, the good exclusives, and generally more people just gravitated towards it. That's what sort of won that generation for them. But with this newest move, the move I'm sure you've been waiting for me to talk about, Microsoft is finally standing on equal ground with Sony in terms of their games. The biggest critique anyone and everyone has had about Microsoft and the Xbox is their lack of hard-hitting exclusive titles. Well, let me tell you, things are finally starting to look good for Microsoft because they just acquired ZeniMax. And ZeniMax owns some of the biggest game studios in the world. You know what the Elder Scrolls is. You know what Doom is. I shouldn't have to tell you. You know what Fallout is. Huge, huge titles. Some of them regarded as some of the greatest games of all time. You got stuff like like Skyrim, Oblivion, Fallout New Vegas, the entire... Doom Trilogy and Doom 2016. These are all incredibly iconic games. And now, they're in Microsoft's hands. Yeah. Think about that for a second. If you haven't thought about that before, what if the next Elder Scrolls game was a Microsoft exclusive? That is a huge bombshell. A huge bombshell. A game that has basically sort of transcended itself. has been ported to a million consoles. And has been modded to hell and enjoyed by communities across the globe. I'm, I'm, I'm of course, speaking about Skyrim. What if the sequel to that can only be experienced on, on an Xbox? Or maybe on PC, whatever the case is. All I'm going to say is, this is one of the smartest 
most bold and most worthy decisions that have ever been made in gaming market history. This is going to shake the world. It already has, but we've yet to see it in action just yet. So Microsoft now has control over a bunch of studios and a nice, sturdy handful of solid, heavy-hitting AAA um, franchises right at their fingertips. Now, Xbox and the people over at Microsoft have already come out with a statement saying that um, there will be some games available on other consoles on a case-by-case basis. Basically saying some games will be available on multiple consoles, while other games will be exclusive to their brand and to Microsoft, to Xbox. And let me just say, I think it needs to be said because a lot of Sony fans are still sort of hopeful that they will get to see their sequel to Skyrim or the next Doom game or the next Fallout game on their console. All I'm going to say is you do not spend $7 billion to share. And if you do, there's going to be a huge, huge advantage on Xbox's side. What I mean by that is, think about Game Pass for a second. Gears 5, the newest edition of the Gears franchise. Hugely anticipated game. Um, Essentially, the next big continuation for the franchise that game was released for free on Game Pass the day of its release. And it wasn't just the standard edition. No, you got the special edition. In fact, if you had it on Game Pass, I vividly remember picking up Gears 5 on the Game Pass and instantly having a bunch of bonus skins. Xbox did not cheap out. They gave you the good stuff. On the day of release, for $10. For the price of your subscription, you have full and complete access to a brand new out-of-the-box game. That is insane. That is for ten bucks. For ten dollars. Not to mention if you started your subscription for the first time when Gears 5 came out, guess what? Microsoft was offering a huge promotional deal to get people into Game Pass. They charged a dollar. For your first month. Imagine paying a dollar. To play Gears 5. This new game that just came out of the shelf. Now what if we take that logic. For a different game. Say something that. Is available on multiple consoles. Actually let's let's focus this more on. A more specific example. Let's say. Microsoft makes the sequel to. The Elder Scrolls. Skyrim. We finally see the next Elder Scrolls game. And they reveal it's not going to be exclusive to Microsoft. But. But. People who play the game. On Microsoft consoles. Will not only be able to play it for free. But will be able to play it on release day. For a highly reduced price. 
games this generation are looking to finally shift from a $60 price point to a $70 price point. Out of box, fresh, new, completely unused. Imagine that. Imagine you finally get the new Elder Scrolls game. You pay the big 70 smackaroos to play it on launch day. It's brand new. And some guys on Xbox just got the same exact fucking game for 10 bucks. <laughs> That's insane. That's insane. That absolutely seems like something Microsoft would do. They're going to share just a little bit. They're going to make sure it stings. You see all the people playing the exact same game you got for not even a fucking quarter of the price. Not even a quarter of the price that you just paid for that game. They're playing it in full on launch day, completely new. Digitally on their console, no disc required. That is how I believe in culmination with the Game Pass and, of course, the superior Xbox Series X hardware that Microsoft will make this renaissance happen. The Xbox 360 was very clearly dominant during its era. As great as the PS3 was, it was so, so clear that Microsoft was in their bag with the 360. That was their era, and they lost that mojo with the Xbox One era. It's been a long time since then, but they're hungry. They're so, so hungry to be on top again. And I don't blame them. I don't blame them, honestly. I think Microsoft deserves to be a heavy hitter. They deserve to be a huge figure in this console competition. And this generation is going to cement that. This generation is going to remind people what Microsoft is capable of. It's going to remind people why Microsoft is so successful. And hopefully the Series X be the next big thing for them. I'm not expecting an Xbox 360 era kind of thing to happen again. But I do definitely want to see Microsoft sort of take the lead a bit in this generation. I think Sony the entirety of the PS4 lifespan sort of always had that edge on the Xbox One in terms of sales and in terms of games. But now the playing fields are getting leveled. Not just leveled to hell. I'd even say they're tilting much more in Xbox favor this generation. It's been a while since it's tipped that way, but it's finally starting to do so. And all I'm going to say is that This generation is going to be incredibly interesting. Very, very interesting. Very fun to keep up with. Personally, you've heard of all of my takes. You've heard me ramble for the past hour now about how I feel about Xbox. And I think it's very clear how I feel, how many others feel. I think we can expect Microsoft. To take this generation by the horns and really, really tell people Xbox is back and it's here to stay. 
that's where I'm going to go ahead and cut off the podcast. Thank you very, very much for tuning in and getting to the end of my first episode. Honestly, if you made it here, if you're listening to this, I give you huge props. Thank you so, so much for hearing what I have to say, for me rambling. 